You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Great to have you here today, and it's great to celebrate today. We are celebrating uh, five youth in our congregation who are going to be giving testimony of their faith. And one thing I want to get straight, uh, it's in, in uh, the traditions in many churches, it's called confirmation, and that's a good word because it's about confirming their faith, but they are not getting confirmed. I know that sounds, it's like, what? No, they are confirming their faith. They are giving testimony of their faith today. It's totally, it's not like something's going to happen to you, that I'm going to do something on you that's going to change you. That doesn't happen. What has happened is over the last few years, you have been learning Um, mainly on Zoom this last year, right? Learning in person and on Zoom about the life of Jesus, about God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how he has worked in our history. So they've learned not only just facts and information about the Bible, but they've also learned to make this and appropriate this faith as their own. And I think it's just so appropriate that we have started a new sermon series today called uh, Neighborhoods to Nations as we are looking through the book of Acts, and we're starting with one passage in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 today, that talks about how the community of faith was so different. And um, I think that's important because faith for the five of you is not simply a bunch of facts and a bunch of information. It's not like any other class that you've had that you just learn facts, spit them back. Faith is a trusting relationship and a personal, risen Savior Jesus Christ who is very real, who is very right here, who will always be with you. And so that's why we're talking about that today, um, the Sunday after Easter, as we celebrate both the resurrection and how the church just exploded on the scene with something totally different. So we're going to read about that in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Okay, that's the first description of the church, and I think it's still an apt description for today, only that we may live into it. Um, But the real question is, why does the Jesus movement, because it was a movement by the Holy Spirit, but it it, it grew explosively through the first three centuries. Every historian who studies that era and the Roman world knows that it started from almost absolutely nothing and exploded to after three centuries had changed the entire Roman world. And if you look at it, you go like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense because actually they had the worst public relations you could ever think of. I mean, the Roman Empire and the elites were not for it. So they had nobody in power within society, and the Jewish religious leaders were against it at the time, too. Nobody that had any authority or power or anything thought anything of this movement. 
And then they had no resources. They had no buildings. They had, they had no one who endorsed them. They had no marketing campaign, by the way. And um, no sociopolitical power, no media to put out, no little catchphrases, nothing. The only catchphrase they had was Jesus is Lord, if you want to have a catchphrase. Fascinating, isn't it? So how did it happen? And boy, uh, we'll quote later on somebody, Lucian of Samosata, they were fully misunderstood. So how in the world does this happen? And we're going to learn today the difference, okay, how they were different and why they were different. And I'm looking at the five of you specifically, Piper and Paxton and Reagan and Emma and Emma. Um, we never knew that when we named Emma, Emma, there would be so many Emmas. You know, my mom thought, oh, don't name her that. It was my mother's middle name, my grandmother's um, first name. And my mom didn't like it until we named our daughter Emma. Then she loved it. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of Emmas, right? We didn't think so. But anyways, uh, what's great about this is I want to see the difference that Jesus has made for you, lived out by you, and that becomes the why for everything that you do from now on. We're going to be talking about that a little. So, um, first of all, how they were different, okay? I don't know if you re recognize that, but this passage really shows how the first Christians, this movement, was different than anything else that the world had ever seen. And it comes down actually to one Greek word, of course. I always bring up some Greek word or something, right? It comes up with one Greek word. How they were different is proskarateo, okay? Which is the word for devoted. And you're probably singing that song from anybody? Greece? No? Totally devoted to you, isn't that one of the songs? I've never even seen the whole movie. But anyways, the idea of devotion, but what this word actually means is it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? And it means to continually, habitually attend to something, to focus on something, to be mindful, to keep learning, to pursue constantly. That's what devoted means. When you're devoted to something, it doesn't mean that you just spend a little time on it or that you just give a couple bucks to it. What it really means is you give your whole life over to it. Really. You give yourselves over to it. Um, the Acts group gave themselves over to what? Really? To each other. To each other for the sake of God's glory. The Reader's uh, New International Reader's Version of the Bible says it this way, they shared their lives together. You know, we're in such an individualistic culture that we don't get this. And people are actually devoted to themselves. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, we devote our time and our energy to what's going to work for me, and we think that's the way to live. And our society is basically based on that, and even Christianity gets turned around and inside out so that really, um, you know, I'm coming and seeing if I get something out, I'm devoted to growing my faith, I'm devoted to this, I'm devoted to that, but it's basically what's in it for me, even on a spiritual basis. And um, 
But the early church was not at all like that. I know that sounds odd, but they devoted themselves to each other. They shared their lives with each other. Whoever had a need, they gave of themselves. They didn't think of themselves first. They saw of the others. This was so different than the Roman world. And sadly, I I think it's still different today. Um, For instance, Gordon Fee, uh, a New Testament um, scholar, and he writes this, Christian ethics is not primarily an individualistic one-on-one with God brand of personal holiness. Rather, it has to do with living the life of the Spirit in Christian community and in the world. So the five of you are making a public testimony of your faith today. You've already recorded a video to share a bit about that later on in this service. But what you're also doing is not saying, okay, I'm done now. I've got my thing here called faith, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I live this out in my life, on my own, in my own way. But you are basically saying, I'm devoting myself the rest of my life to serve others and glorify God in whatever way that is. And that's why Christianity was so different. And the difference comes out, by the way, in how Christians were perceived by the people outside of the faith. I love this illustration. I mentioned it a little before. This man named Lucian of Samosata. He lived about 100 uh, in the mid-hundreds. So about 100 years after Christianity had really kind of started and it was growing, and he was a total critic and skeptic of it and a cynic and very sarcastic. But this is how he says it. He says, the poor fools. Now, isn't that a great way to start out, you know, what you think of Christianity? They have persuaded themselves above all that they are immortal and will live forever, from which it follows that they despise death and many of them willingly undergo imprisonment. Moreover, their first lawgiver, you know who that is, Jesus, taught them that they are all brothers of one another. He thought that was ridiculous. When once they have sinned by denying the Greek gods, that is, they have renounced all the other forms of um, religion, and by worshiping that crucified sophist, wise guy gets you know, crucified, doesn't show him to be smart, right? himself and living according to his law. So they despise all things equally. That is, they look at everything they have and say, hey, have it, sure, no problem, let's share. And they regard them as common property, accepting such teaching without any sort of clear proof. Accordingly, if any quack or trickster who can impress his advantage comes among them, he can acquire great wealth in a very short time by imposing on simple-minded people. They were willing to give to anyone, and if they thought that person had it needed, it was okay. They were fine in even like somebody pulling the wool over their eyes for a little bit, and they were still willing to give and to serve. Isn't that amazing? What a great description in a backhanded way. So I'm hoping you'll look that way as well. Foolish, maybe, to this world. Okay? Um, now, my daughter, Emma, you're here today. You didn't need to do this the last couple of years. In fact, um, you've been such, I, I've just been amazed at the faith that I have seen in you personally. In fact, um, the la- uh, seventh and eighth grade, she was at St. Michael's and received all this instruction through that then. And so when we started confirmation instruction, just this teaching, she said, oh, sure, I'll do that too. Because 
You wanted to keep growing in your faith, which was fantastic to see and to encourage the rest of the class as well. You could have said, hey, I've done it already, I'm, I'm done. But I love seeing the fact that you're willing to devote yourselves and to that faith, not just once, but the rest of your life. And I know this fall, you're going to be going to Florida State University. I have to say, go Seminoles. Is that what I mean? <laughs> I know, I was a, we were Gators for 10 years in Gainesville. Go Seminoles, okay. And I don't know how I'm gonna handle her being six hours away from home and not having her every day in the house and her joy and stuff. But the point is, I know it's not an individual thing. You're not there alone. There are other Christians on that campus that you can gather together in Christian fellowship, grow stronger in your faith, be a part of them, and that you can glorify God at Florida State University and serve others there and grow in knowledge. And It's going to be great. And the rest of you, you'll be following in her footsteps in one sense. In just a couple of years from now, Piper, Paxson, Reagan, and Emma, You'll be after uh, high school, you'll get out into the, quote, real world, whatever that is, right? Possibly be leaving home. And all of a sudden, you're on your own. You don't have to be on your own. You can find a Christian fellowship like this to be a part of, to continue to grow in your faith. And to model what it means to be different. You can find that. And you go like, well, but are we really that different? And I have to tell you, yes, Christianity is very different. Because the ultimate answer, the ultimate question that we ask as followers of Jesus is not, what's in it for me? The ultimate question we ask, the fundamental question that keeps coming back to is, how can I give my life to you for the sake of Jesus Christ? How can I serve you and glorify God? Where the world is saying, how can I get you to serve me to my glory? My life for yours is what Christianity says. And the world keeps saying, no, your life for mine. And that's where the cross comes in. That's where the difference comes in. That's where it gets kind of conflicted at times. And it's going to be tough if it hasn't already. If you haven't already in high school faced ridicule or somebody being sarcastic about you believing or how nice you are and you did it or whatever, if you have not faced it yet, you will face it at other times. And it's not necessarily from the professor who's going to tell you how Christianity might seem like a ridiculous and absurd thing and why do you believe in miracles and all that stuff. It could come from your classmates just because they're going out and doing their thing. And they're wondering, why in the world aren't you following suit and just living for yourself? Do you get it? You're going to be different. You've been marked different from the beginning. God has called you to be different, to be in a Christian fellowship like this. And a difference it really does make. Uh, Kenneth Scott Latourette, a historian, he wrote a classic book on the early church and he uh, answered why it was so different or what was different about it. He wrote this in his book. More than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. 
Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophers never really won the allegiances of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated, the morally and socially cultured. Christianity drew the lowly and unlettered, yet also developed a philosophy of its own which commanded the respect of many of the educated. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas two of its main rivals were primarily for men. And the church welcomed both rich and poor. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. The question must be raised why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to appear first in the world in Christianity. That's the question. How we are different? We live our lives for the sake of others, not for the sake of self. Why? Are we different? That's our second point. And I think it comes back to the answer that every answer is, in some ways, Jesus. Because he was so different. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer. And he's praying it for the sake of his disciples, for the sake of you and me, not for himself. And In it, he's praying this right before his crucifixion in John 17. And this is what it says at one line. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And the word behind it is not quite the same Greek word that we had before of devotion. But it means much the same. It's to be set aside. I have devoted myself. I've placed myself aside. I've consecrated myself. I am set apart to be God's instrument in this world. Not for my, I live my life not for my sake. I live it for the sake of others. Period. To God's glory. He gave himself away. He gave himself away to his father and said, here's my life. Take it, Lord, whatever way you want, Father. And the father said, I want to give your life to this world because I love it so. And when Jesus was facing another time, he prayed that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, in such agony that he was sweating through drops of blood because of the, just the intensity of the agony. He basically had, the, the question before him was, do I live for myself or do I live for others? Am I going to give my life over to my father or I'm going to take it on my own and take care of myself at this moment? And he said, not my will, but thine be done. That's the why. That's the why. He freely chose to give himself away to you in death. And though it might have culminated in the crucifixion, it doesn't end there. Resurrected from the dead, Jesus continues now to give himself away. He's not now raking in the praises. We might be praising him this morning, giving glory to God, but he's not going, okay, I need a little more. He's not looking for any ego boost at all. He is continually giving himself away. The early church recognized that, that wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus was present to give himself away. Whenever you open up the scriptures, and I'm hoping that you will continue to read God's word for you, you open it up, be expectant that Jesus is there giving himself to you. 
when we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, it's the fact that Jesus is here giving himself away again. Wherever we are gathered together in fellowship, Jesus is here giving himself away. That's the reality. You see, the early church, the difference, the why behind it is not that they believed that Jesus once existed and or he was a historical person who died at one time in the past and that made a difference. Although those things were true, they believed that Jesus was real now, like he is here right now and he is alive right now. And so they lived with anticipation and gave themselves away because they knew Jesus was giving himself away even in their midst. So today you're basically saying Jesus is real, not that he was a real person, but he is real. And he is so real that he has given himself to me and I am willing to give myself to him. He's not a concept. He's not an idea. He's not just a teacher of nice things. He didn't just tell me what to do. He gives himself to me and then I am giving myself to him. The early church didn't reminisce and go like, wasn't it nice when Jesus was around? And he, the early church was celebrating that Jesus it was present right in their fellowship. The Holy Spirit was bringing the realities of him right there. He is not, was not dead. He was alive and living and working through them. That's the Acts 2 church. And that's the difference we are right now. So what does this look like? First of all, it means you're going to be getting together with others. Okay? And I think that's important. Please never, 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 never plan on just going to college or getting into a job or moving to another town and say, you know, I'm going to be okay. I've got it up here. It ain't going to stay there for long, let me tell you. <laughs> I've lost so you know. Um, or I've got it right here. I, I still... You need the fellowship of others. And in fact, that's where you expect Jesus to be really present is in the fellowship with others. It also means that you're going to give yourself away and you're going to be different. You're going to act differently. And if other people don't get it, well, that's okay. You're still going to, not, you're not going to dabble here and there and say, okay, I'll try but you're going to actually open yourself up and your schedule, as well as we here at, at Thrive. I, you know, one of the differences, we don't have a building yet. You know, I mean, we are using this building. We don't have a lot of market. I mean, we don't have a lot of prowess. What we have is Jesus Christ living present right here in the midst of us, and we can give ourselves away to each other. What does that mean? That means um, I'll adjust my schedule for you. Let's spend time together. Let's love on each other. I'll listen. We'll tell stories. I'll learn about you. It's not just about being friendly on Sunday morning for 10 minutes before service and 10 minutes after. We share our lives together. So what does this look like? It means we're going to be diverse. There'll be people who are very different here, age-wise. There's going to be different political perspectives, different cultural values, different distinctions. We don't have to agree on all, any of those topics at all because the unity we find is in Jesus Christ. We're also going to be outwardly focused and not just focused on, okay, how am I getting, what is this going to do for me? 
but how can I serve God? How can I glorify God by serving others? That's the outward focus that we're going to continue to do. So that does mean we're going to be family, and I can't wait to get back to some of the things that we were doing pre-pandemic, right? From home huddles and gathering in people's homes to having fellowship together, just hanging out, being God's people, celebrating his goodness. We're going to continue to be expectant that Jesus is alive and that he does miracles now and that he is involved in these things. He is not just back then somewhere else, but everything is right here. And finally, we will be growing because we're going to continue to try to devote ourselves to be habitually, actively involved rather than setting back. And I guess this all comes down to the one question that's really the question for today. Is Jesus real to you? And that's what we're asking, what we've been asking over the last couple of years in the instruction that I've done with these five teens. Is Jesus real? Why is he real? What difference does he make? And they're responding this morning that he is. 